This week we will discuss good spaceship design, silly character weaknesses, and our first triple morph. A what? It's a triple morph. I oh okay. It's like a double morph, but one more. Okay, so it's just two double morphs. Okay, go on. No, that would be a quadruple morph. <sighs> just play the theme song. Hello and welcome to Circle Yerk, an Animorphs podcast. I'm going to be king of the pirates. I'm Barry. Why are you so loud all of a sudden? Does that require, is that a requirement of being a king of the pirates? I'm trying to start with some high energy. Okay. I'm bringing um, it in. Okay, well, um, hello, I'm Shawnee. <laughs> You're the only person in the world that's going to complain that a podcast is is too much energy. No, I, it wasn't. It was you. You were very loud for a second. I got startled. Shiny may the Kondrona shine and strengthen you. What is it we do here on Circle Year? Well, this is an Animorphs podcast where we read and recap the books uh, from the classic 90s children's series. It gets worse every week, I know. Uh, you read the books, recap them to me, and I have not read anything and I remember nothing between episodes. I always look forward to where that journey takes us. <laughs> we always get there in the end, but there's some, some twists and turns in the road. Yeah, well, like, I like to just uh, keep it fresh, you know? Shani, I've got some questions for you. I was afraid. Number one, what is the Animorphs' plan to deal with the Haboob? They're going to feed it to Visser 3's dog. I don't know. It's called a pet. I know that. It is, it is. The Valique. Very good. Uh, they're going to play a sort of a keep away with the Valik by morphing uh, oh. at different times to distract its attention in, in the hopes of wearing it down. Got it. How did Rachel avoid being captured by the Aboob? She... A trick question. Someone else morphed and it led the Haboob away from her. No, she avoided capture by... Turning into an elephant. I was going to say that. I was going to say that. Who does get captured by the Haboob at the end of last week's episode? Axe. Mm. No, it was two episodes ago. Damn it! I'll give you another shot. Marco? Marco, so, Marco went on a joyride. He did. He in hit the some pickup, trash cans in, in the, the pickup, pickup truck. Tr- he, he hit uh, mailboxes. You're surprisingly uh, what fresh in your memories of what, uh, what we discussed last well, week. Well, apparently I remember things that are not relevant. Because I think we not. just need to have more four-parters. <laughs> <laughs> um, we did, it was a trick question. We don't know who is captured. It's either oh. Cassie or Marco. Uh, yes. Cassie needs to decide whether she continues with her morph and gets captured by the Valique or whether she pauses her morph and allows Marco to be captured instead. Got it. What's the name of the material that Axe's cell on Visser 3's blade ship is made out of? You're fucking with me right now. No. The Yerkinarium. No, it's a Ramonite cell, Shawnee. Oh, Ramonite. Ramen. Is the material... It's made uh, of ramen can, noodles. Yes, either be transparent or opaque and is able to kind of open or close in a kind of organic fashion. That's what the team was 
trapped in in the Predator. It's what Axe was trapped in in Visser 3's blade ship. But then he escaped his cell. And my last question is, how did Axe escape the Ramonite cell? He transformed into like a small, like a fly. And then when they went looking for him, he flew out. It was it was a flea, but you'll get a point. Thanks. That was that was close enough. I'm impressed with that level of recollection. Thank you. Before we get into the wrap up, a little housekeeping. Uh, we did ask two episodes ago what books Tobias might read when Rachel brings him books in the woods, and we had a little laugh about that. One listener replied that Tobias would probably read To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> Because he's bird racist? Because he's bird racist. <laughs> I don't know how we missed that one, uh, but that was a great one. Secondly, I'd like to report that at the time of this recording, rapper Fitty Scent is still alive. Thank God. So it looks like the myth of the Circle Your Curse has been busted. The myth that... Okay. <laughs> However, we will gladly take credit for Henry Kissinger's death for anyone that wants to attribute it to us. I feel like there's going to be a lot of people who are going to take credit for that. This week we will be discussing the end of The Andalite's Gift, the first Megamorphs book in K.A. Applegate's Animorphs series. Where we last left off, the Haboob or the Valik or the Morph Hunter or whatever the fuck you want to call it, is haphazardly following around the individual Animorphs, as is the narrative. <laughs> Axe is captured, Rachel still has amnesia, Marco, Cassie, and Jake are playing a deadly game of cat and mouse, or I guess I should more accurately say tiger and squirrel, to wear the creature down. Cassie's faced with a decision, continue her squirrel morph and get captured, or pause the morph and have the haboob go after Marco. They also don't know if they can actually tire the thing out. Exactly. One of them is brought to the blade ship where Axe has just escaped custody by morphing into a flea, which brings us to the present moment in Marco's POV. Marco talks about how terrified it was when he was bound up by the haboob and how powerless he felt. Now, Shawnee, as someone who's really into bondage, how do you feel <laughs> about... No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm really into weighted blankets, but like, <laughs> I feel like I don't th think that counts. <laughs> yeah, no. No kink shaming here. I'm just teasing. But he could feel himself moving upwards. He says that when he was released, he saw something that looked like the bridge of the Starship Enterprise, but it was triangular. And he said that instead of seeing Data or Sulu or Worf or Spock, instead there were a bunch of taxons and HBs. He saw what looked like a holding cell, and in front of that, he saw the body of a Hork-Bajir that was sliced in half. Next to that body was Visser Three, with a tail blade covered in Hork-Bajir blood. Hmm. What do you think that guy did? Well, as we know, uh, it was one of the people who allowed... Axe to escape and open the door while he was turned into a flea. Now, keep in mind, Marco is still a g -g -g gorilla. Fisher 3 tells them to put Marco in the cage and bring in some bioscanners to find where that Andalite went. He said the Andalite didn't just disappear. He must have morphed into something really small. Ooh. Can't get much past the Visser. <laughs> I mean, this is literally the Occam's razor. Okay. Go on. <laughs> He's a smart guy. Yeah. Marco starts to put things together. Okay, Axe must have been here, and he must have just escaped. Mm -hmm. And he hears in his head, Marco, it's Axe. At this point, we get more exposition about how thought speak works. 
for the second time in the book. I was going to say, they've already done it in this one. Yeah, they love it. This Great. book has more exposition than a dying Andalite. <laughs> Marco says, like, where are you? Axe says, he's in the safest place you could think of. He's on Visser 3. Oh. He's a flea. That's not a bad idea. Axe... But is he, is Visser, does Visser 3 have flea powder? Because things aren't going to get real uncomfortable. No, because he didn't help Marco with any hijinks to get to a party. <laughs> the only source of flea power the Andalites have. Exactly. Axe asks Marco, well, that's hard to say. Axe mm -hmm. asks, <laughs> asks him to look around and see if he could find a control panel. They work kind of like the drop shaft did, where you can use thought speak to give commands. Mm -hmm. He tells Marco to go to one of the control panels, touch it, and think very loudly, open hatch. Think very loudly. Right, like they did for the drop shaft. They thought I know, floor I, 14. I know, but I, I think it's a very funny way to say think very loudly when thinking is inherently a silent practice. It's okay, okay, how would you say it? I would say... Uh, really focus a lot <laughs> so speaking of spaceship design i know it seems convenient to have all these things like oh just go and think about it but i think in reality that's how spaceships should be like they should be as user-friendly as possible like i know in yeah. the guardians of the galaxy 3 there's that one scene where it's like an alien spaceship what do i do and it's just like oh just put your hands in and it'll, like, let you drive it, no matter... Well, you don't need a lesson. Or, like, I'm sure there have been sci-fi things where it's just, like, put the helmet on, the the ship will read your thoughts and know what to do. Yeah. And that does seem... But at some point you're going to be like, I want cheesecake. And all of a sudden you find yourself at the Cheesecake Factory yeah. parking lot. <laughs> and it's like, oh, how did we get here? And then you just have to explain to your coworkers that instead of going to war, you just wanted a Raspberry Swirl cheesecake. Yeah, that that is a possibility. I'm just you saying, get a craving and I have I have discovered a fatal flaw <laughs> in this play. But no, I do see how some people might see that as like just an easy out for writing. Like, oh, you need to get them on the spaceship. Oh, anyone could just drive it. But I think that's the way spaceships would end up being, because just by the nature of design, you want things to be as easily accessible. I as mean, possible Buzz generally. Buzz Aldrin was drunk as fuck, and he made it to the moon. So yeah, yeah. I was saying, like, the more advanced you get, the more, I think, simple and straightforward the design should be. This makes me think of, like, why I hate Apple products. Like, if I need to read directions in order to know how many fingers to use and what to do with them in order to get the device to do what I want. Oh, it's, like, not, like, intuitive? Right, that's poorly designed. Well, I think Apple products are, like, decently intuitive, but I feel like there's a lot of... There's, I mean, for example, there's a lot of websites that are, like, horrendously designed. I, I strongly disagree. A mouse with one button? What the hell am I going to do with that? Oh, I've never needed... I have one of those, and I've never needed to use it for anything but just clicking. Oh, just must, must be nice. It is quite well, nice. This brings me to my early media recommendation of the week, and it's going to be a nonfiction book. I'd like to recommend The Design of Everyday Things by Don Norman. It just talks about like how things should have a certain level of intuitiveness, a certain level of feedback. Like He talks a lot about doors that have a pull handle, but they say push. And it's like, well, there's a sign right there. It's like, yeah, yeah. But the sign may tell me to do one thing, but the door is telling me to do everything else. Yeah, but that's also, I mean, then that is, that is poor design in putting that label there, but... Uh, well, no, it's poor design in making the handle 
do the opposite of its purpose. But Whereas, but, but the people who made put picked the handle for that door did they pick the right kind of handle? No, that's the problem. Yeah, but that's not the design's fault. That's the human who installed it. I think it's still designed to some extent, but that's just kind of my way of saying that having this device that comes out that you could think into and have it open a hatch in the door, while it might not be the best security, I think yeah. that's good spaceship design. Yeah. I In general, like I like designs that are, um, they're like really, it's like a really simple thing, but it's really ingenious. And it's like, did you know that this is how you use that thing? Like, obviously I can't come up with an example right now, but it's like, you can use them for multiple things at the same time. Or that like, this is how you actually open a can. <laughs> like no well, one's no, ever opened a can No, you don't correctly. know those things right away then it's not well-designed. Well, it's not intuitive. It's 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 a clever design, but it's not an intuitive design. I, I would go as far as to say it's a bad design if you don't look at it and be like, oh, this is how I use it. Well, if the main function works fine, then yeah. it's not a bad design. But um, the secondary designs, like I literally just saw yesterday, that was really fun, was, you know, the Le, Le Crozette's, like, Dutch ovens? Mm-hmm. Apparently, um, if you take the lid of particularly the round one, and you flip it around, and then you take the knob off, it's a perfect, like, pie plate. Yeah, we use that as, as uh, shell bowls, too. Uh, something like that at my restaurant. Flip yeah. Up, but like the soup inside, yeah. But, but it's it's clever, because then, you, but it's also because it's a ca- enamel cast iron. Right. And it warms, yeah. so you don't have to par-bake your pie in it. Oh, that is quite clever. Like, that's that's cool, yeah. that kind but, of stuff. So, yeah, speaking of these, ha- these, these control panels, think into it. Axe says, go, say, open hatch. Once you do... Leave Visser 3 to me. That thing goes after morphing energy? Oh, I'll give it something to go after. Ooh. Meanwhile, Visser 3 is staring at Marco, thinking... But wouldn't... If the if the Haboob is Visser 3's pet, would he not have control over him? Like, how are they going to get the pet, the Haboob, to attack Visser 3? It's going to morph. Wait, wait, so Axe is going to force... Visser 3 to morph? No, Axe is going to morph on Visser 3. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. We'll get there in a moment. Visser 3 staring at Marco and thinking, why? Why won't you talk to me or demorph? The other Andalite does it, but why don't you? Mm-hmm. And like, I imagine like him thinking like Skinner from The Simpsons. Could I be mistaken? Is it possible that the Andalite bandits could be human? <laughs> no, it's my underlings who are wrong. <laughs> yeah. But before he gets to think about this anymore, the Valik begins to swirl around with a lot more energy than it has been. And one of the hork says, Visser, Gold Harash, is Merkag, Valik. You know how they speak in that weird... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, right, right. I, I should know you remember. Yeah, that I do remember. Good, good. The Valik is in full-on tornado mode, and those long ropes shoot towards Visser 3. Marco notices... A giant bug starting to grow bigger on Visser 3's back. Mm. The hork see what's happening. They start running to save Visser 3, and they run right into the Haboob and just get fucking annihilated. They just get shredded up Aww, by the Haboob. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Marco's like, well, this is my chance. Runs to one of the panels, punches his way through hork and Taxon, and when he's running towards the control panel, he hears Visser 3 yelling, Water! Get Water! And Marco thinks, wow, what a strange time for him to be thirsty. That's weird. (laughs) And moves on. Obviously, since we're not idiots like Marco, we understand that the reason he's shouting for water is... He's thirsty. (laughs) Or 
That is how they keep the Habub at bay. That is, is its weakness. Is is this the uh, origin like origin story for M Night Shyamalan's sign? Signs, right? I was thinking <laughs> that might be either that or the Wizard of Oz. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of fictional characters with water being their weakness. The aliens from Dark City or our beloved Paper Jam Dipper. Oh yeah. <laughs> This is often the case with cybernetic or robotic characters. like or gremlins. Ooh, I wouldn't say it's their weakness. It's, <laughs> it's, it's our weakness if yeah. gremlins get wet. Malcolm McDowell's character in Tank Girl. Obviously, if it's holy water, that works for vampires. And uh, even in One Piece, which as you can tell by the intro I'm, I'm currently binging, uh, anyone who eats the devil fruit, they are weakened just by ocean water. But yeah, as far as like weaknesses go, it's a pretty, I'd like balanced characters. That's one thing like I hate Superman. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, he's like super invincible, except this one rare gem that no one seems to have. I have I like access magic to, right, too. right, right. Right. Whereas I like characters with balanced weaknesses, like, as we previously mentioned, the Yurks. Yeah. I think the, the, the Condrona thing is great. But like, there are some characters, oh my God, the so the original, your your favorite named superhero the original green lanterns mm-hmm. his weakness was wood 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 like being near it no like his ring like if he had a sword and he wanted to chop your head off he could chop your head off and if you had like a metal shield he could still chop through you but if it was a wooden shield it wouldn't work that's so dumb it's so dumb because there's not a lot of <laughs> bad guys <laughs> that utilize a lot of wood yeah so they're like, we have to change this to make it something less stupid. And they changed it. So instead of wood, his weakness was, and I'm not making this up. Peanut allergy? No, no. Yellow things. Goodbye. <laughs> right. That's so, so fucking dumb. So now if you wanted to fight the Green Lantern, you just have to get a shield, spray paint it yellow. And his ring wouldn't work on you anymore. Dude, sometimes I wonder, like, how much <laughs> weed these people were smoking when they were, like, batting around these ideas, being like, yellow stuff, man. Like, what? Right. So this thing has the same weakness as, you know, we said the signs, aliens, and whatnot. Marco hits the console and thinks, in a focused manner, open hatch. And the ship starts to open amidst all the chaos. Visser 3 is furious. He's getting attacked. He screams, they're trying to escape. Get that monkey. That's an ape. Exactly. <laughs> hork start to run after Marco. Marco, thought, speaks to Axe. Hey, buddy, the hatch is open. Whatever your plan is, we should get out of here now. Axe is like, well, I got a couple of limbs I have to chop off first because this is a battle scene. Yeah, I gotta chop some hands. Well, we switch over to Axe's POV. And we also, Axe also hears Visser 3 ask for a glass of water and since he's as dumb as marco he's like wow what a weird time to be thirsty oh well <laughs> why do it you can't have two other characters making the same stupid observation <laughs> his plan was to just demorph like a little bit and then not finish demorphing and go back into a flea okay so the haboob would get the morphing energy in that direction but he could still be a little flea like he's just like almost almost andalite no back so he's kind of like he's kind of morph edging Okay. Just to get its attention. He mentions when he's back in Flea Morph that the hairs on Visser 3's back to him were the size of... Delaware! 
trees. You I, know that. I know. I was making a joke. He jumps away from Visser's body into a swirl of particles that are moving past him. The boob. He got caught up in the dust storm. These dust particles are shooting past him, and then something hits him in the leg and gets impaled on his little cockroach. Oh, sorry, his little flea spikes in his leg, mm-hmm. and he looks at what it is, and it's a tiny little creature. Even smaller than him being a flea? Even smaller than him as a flea. Okay. It was a little creature covered in dozens of little wings. It didn't have any eyes, but it had antennae like that had two little bowls on top of each antennae, like, okay. a, like a satellite dish. And it had two long strands of wire hanging down from where its mouth is. And he's like, oh. Is this the slea stroll? No, no. <laughs> Sick reference, bro. Thanks. No, it turns out that the Valik or Haboob is not a giant dust creature. It is a swarm of very little insects. Oh. They use the little antennae dishes on their head to sense energy. And when one of them senses energy, they all go after it and use the two long wires to kind of siphon the energy. Got it. Okay. Um, how did we get to this expo? He's, how, in, he's, how... In, he's in the swarm. He's talking to us about it. Oh, okay. I he's, he's intuiting it. I okay, fair enough. Yeah, there were billions that was just of these a lot, creatures. That was a lot of detail. For all that. working together. Got it. But then suddenly, as these creatures are flying around him, a large silvery globule shoots past him. Is it Anderson Cooper? Please, please elaborate. <laughs> Have you not heard him being referred to as like a as, sil- a, as a silvery globule? <laughs> as a silver no. fox. A silver fox, and he's always in a war zone. Okay, okay, I'll give it to you. Thank you. A large silvery globule shoots past him. It hits several of the small creatures and knocks through them like like a like a cannonball. One of them hits him, but he's big enough. He gets stuck inside the thing. He's trapped in this substance and starts falling towards the ground. And he realizes what it is. It's water. Oh. They were spraying the haboob with a hose. It's like, oh, that's why... He asked for water. It wasn't because he was thirsty. Axe hits the ground as a flea in the rotted droplet. The droplet explodes, and there were more droplets coming down all around him with all these inert little haboblings. (laughs) Haboblings! Oh my god. He said it was like a meteor storm of these creatures and the water falling down all around him. He's like, I need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. He thought speaks to Marco. Hey, Marco, stamp your feet so I can feel the vibration mm-hmm. and make my way towards you, which is pretty smart. Yeah. He leaps towards the vibration, lands on Marco. He says it's like a forest of black fur that he jumped onto, each hair being as big as... A tree? Say Delaware, I will fucking kill you. Yes. <laughs> he tells Marco, jump out the hatch. He does. But as he tells Axe, well, bad news is... They're about two miles in the air, and they're plummeting towards the Earth. Okay, we'll just fucking morph into one of your flying things. And then we check in on Rachel. Rachel's an elephant. She's on her side with a broken leg, and she's in a lot of pain. Uh Uh-oh. The reason her leg's broken, apparently, when Marco crashed the truck, he crashed it into Rachel. Marco! Right? God. While she's lying there, she has more flashbacks. She has memories of the construction site, the Yerk Pool, Cassie's farm. She's slowly starting to regain some of her memories. Mm-hmm. She remembers flying as an eagle and getting her head hit that day. Oh. 
So, but now her, she has a broken leg. Free, free B for life theory. You could just morph and then you have no broken leg anymore. Exactly, but she doesn't know that. Oh. Suddenly, a squirrel runs up to her and she hears in her voice, Rachel, it, it took Marco. It took Marco and I, I didn't do anything to stop it. Cassie, you haven't done much in this whole series anyway, so we're not surprised. Rachel's like, Marco, I remember Marco. I'm starting to remember. She looks around, she sees a bug fighter, and she remembers, that's called a bug fighter. All right, I'm getting this memory back. Okay. She knows, okay, there's going to be one taxon and one hork inside. I guess we're at that point in the plot where it's really convenient for Rachel to start remembering things more quickly. Yeah, it's uh, 85% of the whole <laughs> book, right? <laughs> Cassie and Rachel morph back to human. Cassie says she's guilty for not morphing to draw the haboob away from Marco, but she was just so scared she couldn't morph. Rachel wonders, well, why didn't it attack us right now when we were demorphing? Cassie says, well, it's probably because it already captured Marco and was taking him back to... How convenient. Right, right. You can't be changing the metaphysical rules just because it's no longer convenient to your if, plot. I don't know if it's changing the rules. Eh. <laughs> yeah, it's like... You can't just change the rules because you don't like how I'm doing it. No, I don't think this is changing the rules. We don't know. Like, if it, if it captured something... Like, if, if Tobias has a squirrel in its mouth and it's eating it, it's probably not going to chase another squirrel if we're going to continue to extend that metaphor. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll fine. Rachel sees the bug fighters. She's like, I don't remember how this whole anamorphic thing works. Can we morph again, like, really quickly, since I just morphed from elephant to human? Cassie's like, oh, yeah, we can keep morphing. Okay. They need to morph right away so that the blade ships don't see that they're humans. Mm Because then their whole Andalite banded cover will be blown. Yeah. So they morph into owls, which Cassie explains they both acquired while they were guarding Jake. Rachel hears some cop cars in the distance. So she focuses on morphing quickly. Mm Mm-hmm. So... They fly away as horned owls as the hork start to drop down from the ship. Let me guess. Tobias shows up to attack the horned owls because he hates them? Not quite. See, I in my mind, the hork are doing the superhero landing, you know, coming down. And they take a page out of Tobias's playbook. They talk to each other and say, well, let's swipe their eyes. Mm. But before they collide with the hork an orange blur takes out one hork and then the other. Okay. Jake, in his tiger morph, just takes them both right out before they can hmm. they can tangle. I was, I was wondering where he was. He says, all right, let's go. Hey, has anyone seen Marco? And the book answers by giving us Marco's POV. Hmm. Marco is screaming. He is a gorilla. He's falling, spinning through the air. He sees the streetlights and cars rushing up at him as he falls through the clouds. He screams, ah, we're going to die. He's freaking out, and Axe calmly says, "Well, you said earlier, oh, just fucking morph into a bird, dude." Oh, Marco's like, "Oh, yeah, I All forgot right. I could do that." Yeah, he says, "Do I have enough time?" Axe is like, "Not if you keep wasting time by asking these stupid fucking questions. Morph already." That's true. So he does a quick double morph in the sky. So he goes from being a gorilla with a flea on his back to being a human. With a flea on his back. He starts his offspring morph. Axe starts to morph as well. Now, Shani, if you'll remember, we've established from the very beginning that it should take about two minutes, sorry, two of your Earth minutes to morph. Uh Uh-huh. Marco is doing two morphs back to back. 
So how high up should they have been in order for this to be plausible? Let's say that they are two miles in the air. Do you know how long it would take a gorilla to fall for two miles? It's less time than is required for a morph, I'll tell you that. Take a guess. God, my high school physics teacher better not be listening because she'll be really embarrassed that I can't do this math in my head, Uh, even roughly. Um, I have no idea. Like, what? 90 seconds? Under 26 of your Earth seconds. Yeah. But suspending that disbelief for now, he sprouted wings just in time and was able to fly back in the air before hitting the black top, which he missed by just a few inches. Very convenient. Meanwhile, Jake, Cassie, and Rachel had a rough night. They're heading home. Rachel staying at Cassie's because Rachel's mom still thinks she's at gymnastics camp. Mm-hmm. They were shaken over the fact that there seems to be no way to stop this dust monster, which we now know is really a swarm of much smaller creatures. Mm-hmm. And they don't know what happened to Axe. They don't know what happened to Marco. They arrived home around midnight, and Jake was in a world of trouble with his parents. They told him he's grounded. No Sega. He has to do all the dishes and the trash for the next few weeks. He has to clean out the garage. His folks were pissed. I feel like two of those were just, like, chores. <laughs> yeah, you give a kid extra chores when he gets in trouble. I know, but I feel, I'm like, that... That wouldn't, in my mind, that's just like regular chores that you'd have to do anyway, but okay. I guess the no Sega is. You were the only one that like took out the trash or did the dishes in your house? Um, we had, I had to do like, I had certain things in the house that were like my responsibility, yeah. Right, but like other people also did some of those things, right? Um, depends, which, yeah, like my, my job was like to put away stuff from the dryer. Right, but there wasn't just one person who did dishes all the time, right? No, that was my mom. Right. <laughs> Nonetheless. So, Jake goes to his room to fall asleep, and he feels defeated. He's thinking about how utterly beaten they are. They're never going to be able to morph safely again. Two of their team members are missing or dead. Nothing now is in the way of the Yerks taking over the Earth. They're exhausted, they're defeated. He lies down and falls asleep. And he's woken up by something jumping on him and yelling. Let me guess. It's Marco. Ooga, ooga, booga. It's the ghost of Marco, he yells. Yep. Jake's like, huh? Huh? What's going on? Marco says, let's go. Get up. It's time for our counterattack, buddy. Jake's like, what? Marco's very gung-ho. Right. He says, well, first of all, I can't go out. I'm grounded. Marco says, "Uh, you know what? I talked to your dad. He really wants that garage cleaned up. He said if you could do that, maybe you could go out for a little while. Jake's hmm. like, yeah, it makes sense. My mom's been bugging him to get that done for several of your Earth months now. If I get <laughs> it done, I'll get on his good side and he'll let me out for a little bit. Jake's like, give me three of your Earth hours to deal with the garage. In the meantime, gather everyone up to meet Three the hours to clean a whole garage? Who are you, Marco? Martha Stewart? Do you think he like does some fun morphing like 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 Fantasia style? Like he like what are some good things you can morph into to clean? If he had an octopus morph, imagine like all the extra hands you could help out. If he had Big Jim, I guess using the strength in the hands maybe, but I don't think he has any useful morphs for cleaning. No, he doesn't have a broom yeah. <laughs> morph. He's like in the meantime, 
Get everyone, gather them to meet in the woods behind Cassie's house, but make sure nobody morphs until then. And we switch to Cassie's POV. Tobias is there, yelling at the Animorphs. Let me get this straight. So while I'm asleep, you guys play tag with the space monster, Marco and Axe gets kidnapped by Visser 3, Rachel gets amnesia and hit by a truck, and this whole time, no one talks to me? Honestly, this is the first time that I feel like I'm not really annoyed by Tobias. <laughs> well, Marco explains that the Haboob goes after morphing, and since Tobias can't morph, he's even more useless than normal. <laughs> Tobias responds by saying, Hey Marco, move, ov- move over a little bit. Yeah, stand right below my branch. <laughs> the rest of the team laughs, but Cassie is actually really upset. She feels guilty about keeping herself safe while watching Marco get taken by the haboob. Mm. Jake wants to plan. He's like, all right, here's what we know so far. Number one, the haboob is a swarm of tiny creatures that detect energy. Mm-hmm. Number two, Visser 3 has altered this creature to suit his own purpose. Cassie's like, right, it's like how you train a hunting dog to go after the fox, but not eat the fox, because the master wants the fox, so he'll feed the dog something different. Right. It's kind of like uh, what you have to do with truffle pigs, too. Mm-hmm. Jake says, all right, number three, the thing seems completely unbeatable. Cassie says, no, no, no. It has weaknesses. First of all, it wasn't strong enough to lift Rachel, so we know it has limitations. And secondly, they used water to control it in the blade ship. Mm-hmm. Jake's like, all right, what do we do with this information? Cassie says, you use it against yeah. it. <laughs> How specifically? (laughs) Cassie says, well, I have a plan, but I have to be the one who does it. And then they do that really annoying thing where they, like, say that they have a plan, but don't say what it is for the person reading or watching. Because there's no actual plan. No, there is a plan. It's like, and then they uh, completed the plan. No, they they tell it off screen. So when you see it happening, you're in suspense because you don't know what the plan is. Oh, yeah. Right. I I hate that trope. I think the only one time it was done really well was, I think it was the end of season five of Buffy, where they were like having one conversation, but then there was like a different telepathic conversation going on at the same time. Mm. So when you look back at it, it was like, all right, I get it. Once she's done explaining the plan, Jake says, that's pretty dangerous to pull off. And Cassie insists she has to be the one to go through with this. She needs to make up for her feeling that she let the team down when she let the haboob take Marco. She feels like a coward. Cassie's such a fucking downer. (laughs) Well, Marco's like, Cassie, you don't need to prove anything. I'm here. I'm fine. He says, quote, I'm alive and as cute as ever. Ew. She says, that's not the point. I need to go through with this plan myself so I don't feel like I'm a coward. There's this bit where Rachel says, you're no coward. You've been in the same fights as the rest of us. Cassie responds, that's easy for you to say. You're Xena, warrior princess. Rachel's like, excuse me, what? Cassie's like, what? That's what Marco calls you. Rachel's like, oh, yeah, there's still some holes in my memory. I don't remember that, but... Do I like it when he calls me that, or do I kick his ass? <laughs> Jake tries to talk Cassie out of it, but she says, no, I'm the one that needs to do this because it requires a lot of morphing, and I am kind of the best at morphing. Mm-hmm. A little humble brag. Jake agrees, and they all head to the beach to go on with the plan. Okay. Now we switch to the second 
Tobias POV of the book. He's really getting the short stick, huh? It's almost one page long. No! And it's him flying over the ocean, looking for a whale, finds one two miles out, goes back and says, hey guys, I saw a whale. Now we're back to Cassie's POV. Wait, what? Seriously? Yeah. Oh, why was that even there? Right. Why? And especially like the in in Cassie's POV, it's like so. Tobias came and told us he found a whale. Oh, great! We didn't even need that. Yeah. It's nice that they made him feel included at all. Did we? Did we include him? He wasn't even in. There was, he was alone in that whole thing. <laughs> anyway, go on. There's this funny bit where they're at the beach and Marco goes off on one of his Marco rants about there are some people who just shouldn't be lying out on the beach in Speedos after all. You know what I'm saying? There's no fat hairy guys on Baywatch. I'm just saying. Yikes. Yeah, so a lot of body shaming from Marco. He's just being Marco. Mm-hmm. He says, yeah, Hasselhoff doesn't let ugly people on beaches. We should have the Hasselhoff law here. Only pretty people. Yikes. <laughs> They're walking along the beach when Tobias comes back with the news about the whale. All the kids, minus Axe, swim out to sea and begin their dolphin morphs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I'm not going to make the joke. No. Cassie feels her skin start to turn thick and rubbery. Her legs fuse together while her lungs shut down completely for a moment while they rearrange and manage to breathe out of a hole in her back. Mm-hmm. As they're morphing, Tobias yells, Hey guys, the haboob's coming. It sensed you. They dive down into the water, but the haboob stays hovering just above where they are Oh, that's clever. Because it can't come under the water. That's clever. When the morph is complete, they use echolocation to find where the whale was. They swim up besides the whale and use that same sort of John C. Lilly quasi-telepathic communication where the whale says, little ones. You know, every single time you say John C. Lilly. You think of John C. Riley? Every time. Yeah. Every time. There, not the same person. Not the same person. The whale communicates, there's a strange cloud above us. Cassie tries to communicate with the whale, says, please, something weird's about to happen, but don't dive down, just trust me. Mm -hmm. She demorphs into a human, but she's underwater in the ocean. So she holds her breath, she's gasping for air, presses her hand against the whale and requires the humpback whale. <gasps> as you predicted in the second episode. Yeah, I did. Where I, where I said they should go to like the Museum of Natural History or like an aquarium or something. Yeah, which is hilarious. Are there whales in aquariums? Uh, well, I guess not. No. It's not really since... Uh, you have orcas at like SeaWorld, like a blue whale? I can't imagine. Yeah, I don't think there's blue whales in captivity. Um, but yeah, no, there's definitely orcas at SeaWorld. I think Sadly. I think there's like one or two left only anymore, and they're just like... Do you know they kill themselves? Yeah, I mean, they're just like, they just go crazy. Yeah, like... And but, then like, they I go on murder sprees. I, I didn't <laughs> think there were creatures other than humans that were like, well, life sucks, I'm just going to end it. Now, remember the, about the whole thing about Cassie not wanting to morph into intelligent or quasi-intelligent beings? Mm-hmm. That comes up briefly here. She says that the morph felt wrong, that she should have asked permission from the whale first. But they hand wave that away by saying, and I quote, The slow, vague communication style of whales does not allow for complex explanations. <laughs> so I guess that just makes it all right. Okay. It's a dumb concern to have anyway. Yeah. She goes on a typical Cassie spiel about how whales have souls. While she's fucking running out of breath. Yeah. 
she tells them, all right, I'm ready for what comes next. And then we switch over to our final Tobias POV. Oh my God, is this half a page? Uh, he talk, It's very short. He talks about how he doesn't like the kind of flying that he's currently doing. He likes to glide on thermals. He's not built to be flapping his wings over the ocean where there's no thermals. This is pretty exhausting for him. Mm. He's flying with a little cockroach on his back. Axe? Apparently, no, Tobias. Oh, mm. oh, no, Cassie. Oh. Apparently, while underwater, the Animorphs helped Cassie get up towards the surface as a human while she began her cockroach morph. Mm. She breached the surface, finalized being a cockroach, and Tobias snatched her up before the Haboob could. The other Animorphs are like demorphing and then staying a dolphin and demorphing a little. They're also morph edging the Haboob to get its attention mm-hmm. so that it isn't going after Cassie the cockroach while Tobias takes him away. Oh, got it. Okay. So, yeah, they're morph edging the swarm. That's a brand new sentence that I'm pretty sure no one ever used before. <laughs> Probably not. Tobias and Cassie aren't on the Haboob's radar. They're about a thousand feet in the air, and he just needs to fly a little higher in order for their plan to succeed. Cassie asks, Tobias, don't you ever get afraid? And he gives this kind of like, that's my secret. I'm always afraid. <laughs> but he always he's like, how do you deal with the fear? He's like, just by being afraid, I deal with it head on. Yep. Which kind of harkens back to earlier in the book when she talked to Jake about dealing with fear. And Jake's like, oh, I just don't deal with it at all. I suppress my emotions. Push it down. She says, Tobias, if I don't make it, tell Jake that one day I want him to tell my parents what happened to me. One day... When it's safe, I want them to know what happened. (laughs) Okay. Says this child. Yeah. In a kid's book. While in cockroach form. Yeah. And she also says, oh, but don't tell my dad what happened to his truck. He thinks someone just stole it. We'll leave out the whole thing about Marco stealing it. (laughs) Just tell them what happened to me. Don't tell them about the truck. That's probably a good idea. Finally, when Tobias can't fly any higher, he says, this is it. And as a cockroach, she jumps off of Tobias towards the ocean, and Tobias looks down and sees this bug starting to grow into a human. Human? Right. Okay. Yeah, I understand. Okay. As we've established, you can't go from one yes, month to another. Yes, I know. I was, I was just, I was, I figured... Cassie is a human being. Yes, I know that. I was, I was just hoping that we had gotten to the point in these books where you don't have to rem- remind everyone of that every single time, and that we would be... As we've established, every book starts off mm-hmm. with Hi, my name is. I know. Maybe. So, my, yeah, expecta- there are my expectations there. are simply too high. All right, what so kind of bird Cassie's, is she turning into? Cassie's POV. No, she's not. Oh. She is falling. She's morphing quickly into a human. She sees the water below start to rise up towards her. She sees the haboob change directions quickly and just start barreling towards her. Mm. Now, after rapidly morphing from human to dolphin, from dolphin to human again, human to cockroach, and then back to human again, She's really fucking exhausted. I was going to say, like, doesn't the morphing process, like, take out extra energy from these? It does. Yeah. And she's almost completely out of energy. Yeah. But she has one morph left. She tells herself she can do this. She slowly starts to morph into the humpback whale. Mm. She feels herself start to grow, and the Valique is now starting to wrap its arms around her. It's starting to engulf her in those strange, organic, rope-like tendrils that are closing around her. 
And as it's trying to lift her, she could feel her descent start to slow down. Wait, what? Oh, okay, 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 okay. Because so, it's a big flying so, thing grabbing So, her. but she's turning into a whale, the largest creature on Earth. Yes. And this haboob could not lift up the elephant? Exactly. Okay. That's the plan. Got it. She's so tired, she's having a hard time finishing the morph, and she reaches out to get some of the strength from the whale to help her finish the morph. She tells herself, I'm so tired, but just one more morph, and then I can finally rest. Do you understand what's happening, what the plan is? They're trying to drown the... Exactly. Rachel looks, we're at her point of view now, she sees Cassie falling faster and faster as she morphs into a fully grown humpback whale, which I don't think... I mean, you would fall faster just because that's how falling works, but being bigger wouldn't necessarily make you fall faster. If anything, you'd have more air resistance. Anyway, the haboob can't lift the whale like it couldn't lift Rachel's elephant. It had its tendrils wrapped around Cassie so it couldn't escape. All of the tiny little creatures that made up the haboob splashed down into the water with Cassie and dispersed. Rachel looks under the water and where all the haboblings were... Now there's just one giant blue humpbacked whale. So is it that the whatever is keeping them together is repelling water or the individual creatures can't handle water? I think it's the latter, especially since they're like from Saturn, where as far as we know, there isn't any water. Yeah. Right. Cassie thought, yeah, take that. Hey, Vista 3, I just washed your dog for you. (laughs) I love that. Oh my god, I wish bathing a dog was that easy. (laughs) Right? They're all excited that they defeated this supposedly unbeatable monster. Cassie starts singing one of her whale songs. Marco asks what that means. (laughs) And Cassie responds, it means hope. And then the book ends very fucking abruptly. That's it? Yeah. Can we hear the song? Can you do the song for me? No, I'm all set, thanks. I'm not. I want to hear it. Here's the thing, though. This book was 43 chapters long. Mm Mm-hmm. Them fighting the Haboob... I'm going to go back to calling it the Valique now. Oh. Them them fighting the Valique was the last three chapters. Oh. We got to see Marco and Axe going into the party as mice... Like, three times from... At least three times from three different points of view. Yeah. But then it's like, oh shit, we need to wrap this up. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, I have a word limit. Gotta gotta crunch this all at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the actual third act of the book was... And then there's no... It's just like, we killed the Valik. No resolution. Not even like Visser 3 doing the... Oh, you may have won the battle, but all the war. Like, it's just, Valik's dead. Okay, done. Bye. Not even like, like not even a. And Tobias looked up at the stars and thought, "The Andalite homeworld is up there, <laughs> and one day they'll be here to rescue us. We just need to stay." Sh- no, it's just like Felix's dead. Bye. Hope you enjoyed Megamorphs. Bye, everyone. That's thanks, so thanks funny. for reading. Yeah, it was really abrupt. That's very funny. What did you think of the end of the Andalite's gift? Um, I just. I don't like the multiple POV for these. I just, it's too much. 
I was thinking about it too, and it's just since it's such a short book and all the chapters are so short, because I was thinking, like, why is this so jarring, whereas something like like the the Songs of Ice and Fire books aren't? And I think it's because... Those chapters are 40 pages long. Right. Yeah. And stuff, you know, happens, happens. in them. <laughs> yeah. My thoughts, although I didn't like the narrative shift so much and so, so, so much exposition padding, I did really like the story. But I get how you couldn't have really told a story like this with one POV. Hence the need for so many scenes. Like in other books, it's like, oh, I saw this thing on the news. Yeah. Which we were naturally recording for some reason. Mm-hmm. Or like, oh, I read this somewhere. Or did you guys see in the news? But this, they, they, they couldn't really do that. So it was more of a split the POV to cover everything that was happening. Yeah. So that makes me appreciate the other books more when I realize, you know, the real limitations you have in presenting a story with just a singular point of view. Yeah. And th- and this one, because it's like, because of the simplicity of the story as a whole, like, there's not a lot of, like, intrigue or, like, politics and that kind of stuff that you'd w- you need to see. It's just like, this person's over here doing this thing. This person's over there doing that thing. Well, I mean, there is... Marco driving a truck and hitting a bunch of trash cans, which is pretty yeah, but that cool. that's not like uh, intrigue, like it's not po- it's not politics, it's not like scheming, it's just things that are happening. It's like there's no planning for the future and like that. You know what I'm getting at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just but and it's also like because of the very linear storytelling in these books, it just it's well, this too one it many. wasn't right. No, but that but so what I'm saying is that like it's. It just doesn't work. It feels whiplashy. It feels you're constantly like, wait, what happened? I agree. And you know who else agrees with you? Of reviews? Some people who reviewed the book. Shani, I sent you a list of reviews for The Andalite's Gift. First of all, let's talk about the title. What is the gift? Yeah, glad Mm -hmm. they're going back to the uh, bullshit titles that have nothing to do with the book. I guess if you want like a generous interpretation, The Andalite's Gift could have been you know, the ability to morph that they got from Elfangor. Well, that's it. And it's that gift, the morphing in and of itself, that caused the Valik to attack. So it was the gift of morphing, I I guess. It was a shitty title. It should have been the Haboob's Destruction. Yeah, Haboobies. (laughs) The Haboobs. Yeah. All right, I have the reviews. But what would have been a a better title? The, I think even like The Creature... Isn't there a book called The Creature? Probably. Uh, odds are. Isn't that... Oh, it's The Capture is number six. Yeah. Well, I mean, the next one is The Alien, so they couldn't have used that here. Yeah. All is right. it The Alien? Or, yeah. Reviews. I don't know what it is about this book, but the reviews were a different beast. People, the beast, that would have been a good one. <laughs> People felt the need to write essays about this one. Well, like other books, the majority of the reviews were like, yo, this shit slaps bonkers, dude. Five out of five hmm. or like a well-written paragraph or two. I had to comb through like journal essays that I just wouldn't be fun to read on air. Huh. All right. Shall I go? Please. Jay, five stars. I like the part where Marco drives a car. <laughs> Tongue emoji. <laughs> I give that five-star review five stars. Jesus. I'm pretty sure that's Jesus. I'm pretty sure it's Jesus himself. I don't know if this is a copy-paste mistake, but it just says stars. 
There's no... Oh, five stars. That was, five yeah. stars. OMG, I loved it. The whole Valique plot was super cool, and the way it was resolved was even cooler. And while Cassie was so badass in this book, I like her here so much. Anyway, easily, at least for now, my favorite book of the series. That was pretty badass of her at the end to do the, the triple morph, mm-hmm. acquire the whale. Like, I, for as much That's as I clever. love to shit talk Cassie, it wasn't just clever, it was also brave. Like, that was hard to do. That many yeah. morphs fallen from the air. Yeah. A, a new morph in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. This one says, Lily... Oh, it's three stars. Arr. This was so exciting, and the end of every chapter had me on the edge of my seat! Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. The way the characters just missed each other made me yell out loud. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. This has made me so excited to get up to the next Megamorphs. Lily? Calm down. <laughs> Melina. Five stars. This one deals with fear in a different way. I had to reread it because I, I sped, sped too much on it unknowingly, and I'm glad I did because I would have missed a great deal of adventure. Luckily, it can be read, read at any point. It, it doesn't does nor takes much from the main story. The fear is real. The fear is grand. Cassie is extraordinary. But this is a chronological story, but you can't just read it whenever. It's not a standalone. I mean, it, it, it is and it isn't. I, I, like like the, the previous book where they destroy the Kendrona, like yeah, that it's not just a standalone because they they talked about previous. I, I'm sure that's going to. Didn't well, Rachel get? Didn't her amnesia start in the previous book? No, this book. Oh, it like, feels like it was. Yeah. <laughs> okay, hold on. Uh, Jeremy. Okay, it's five stars. Mm-hmm. Had to stop and backtrack a bit in my reread for this one since they're not doing this in audio apparently. And again, this was written in. 2021 this review like i said the audio came out a month ago yeah that's so crazy (laughs) if animorphs were a tv show megamorphs would be feature films that drop between seasons action-packed rotating points of view but mostly inconsequential to the overall plot yeah that's a great summary (laughs) yeah the andalites gift was better than i remember it being i'm still confused by why it's titled that yes same dude you see it for most of the book so far also still unclear on the purpose of rachel's amnesia yep yeah, it was a plot device. Annoying to read and seemed to serve zero purpose to get either the story or the character. It seems like Applegate possibly forgot about Tobias and scrabbled to yeah. him in as sleeping through it at all, all at the end. And very indignant about it. Otherwise, lots of fun. Don't you just hate trash cans? Marco's humor was on point here. Cassie's humpback whale morph was pretty cool. Still feels like the weakest Megamorph's book from what I recall of the others and lacks a lot of the darkness I like in a lot of books. Well, that's the thing. Like, when you're going back and forth, you can't really, like, dive into. Right, right. There's only so much room to build up that existential dread and horror. Exactly. Uh, It's hard to get short bursts of nihilism. Yeah. Tui, five stars. Only sort of holds up, but I still laugh my ass off at the bit with the trash cans. <laughs> and we have a repeat. Amantha? Amantha's back. Amantha's back. Uh, Amantha gave this uh, three stars. Hey, Catherine. Catherine is spelt without the first E. Uh, you do know uh, that's not how amnesia works, right? Right? Okay. That's your problem. <laughs> you also can't turn it, Amantha. You can't also can't turn into a humpback whale. But okay. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and that's not a name. <laughs> yeah, Amantha is not a name. 
Um, Anthony, you know how that's not how naming works, right? <laughs> that being said, this is a fun book with a different narrative structure, an intriguing mystery, and possibly one of my favorite scenes from the whole series. A scene that was reenacted many a time between my friends and me. The scene where Merkel steals Cassie's dad's truck. How do you... Okay, I don't want to think about that. I can't count the number of times I shouted, Do you just hate trash cans and my sister for no apparent reason? <laughs> Uh, oh, Amantha, I look forward to all of Amantha's reviews. Fantastic. Well, Shawnee, thank you for joining me. And thank you so much to the listeners. We'll be back next week where we discuss Animorphs Book 8, The Alien. Do we get the interview finally? We get the interview yes. finally. I've been waiting this for months. Yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, it's it's going to be a letdown. <laughs> it, oh. was, it was just a short chat. We didn't really get into much. Okay. And the audio the audio was bad. Oh, great. Yeah. I was just holding up my phone in like a packed bookstore. Oh, fine. <laughs> Thanks to everyone for listening this week. You can always email us at circleyurk at gmail.com and you can follow us on Instagram at circleyurk. You can check us out on circleyurk.ninja for a list of episodes, other information, for pictures of uh, Max the Yurk uh, little crochet doll that was made for us that I love so much. <laughs> Thanks to Val at Turning Pages Design for your amazing graphics and logo. Thank you everyone who's been writing in. Very special thanks to Benedict Cupstis for our theme song. Please check him out at fieldguides.bandcamp.com Until next time, peace! Bye!